Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is November 17th, 2015. This is episode 1676 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, it's a Tuesday, but I had to take yesterday off. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the Coyote episode yesterday, the loss of Buddy the Goose, who was a well-known YouTube celebrity and uh, a good part of the uh, Spirico homestead yesterday. Uh, it wasn't really yesterday that the Coyote got Buddy. We actually figured out, because the Coyote got others, that the Coyote had inflicted a mortal wound in Buddy the Goose um, Saturday night, and Buddy didn't actually die until Sunday night or Monday morning. It looked like she just had a bad leg. She must have had a, a puncture wound somewhere in the abdomen that we didn't find, and there was probably nothing that could have been done. But uh, before we get to the Coyote today, we're going to talk about all of this hoopla going on with Paris, um, uh, the Paris attacks and Syrian refugees. And you're going to get the story here, like you always do, that you won't get anywhere else. You won't get it from the left. You won't get it from the right. You won't get it from the Alex Joneses of the world. I'm the only person I believe that will tell you the straight shit about what's going on right now, how it really affects you, and why all of the hysteria and all of the hype on either side is just plain madness and stupidity right now. Before I do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure the show is here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day number one today is a ready-made resources, the company that does what it says and says what it does right on their website. All the resources you need ready-made, ready to go at readymaderesources.com. And when I say all the resources, I mean it from the tactical to the practical, from guns to gardens and everything in between. You'll find it at ready-made resources. 12-volt appliances to go with your solar and wind projects? Check. They've got that. You want to do solar and wind? Hey, they've got everything you need for that. You want long-term storage food? You want it by the can or by the case? They've got it. You want to make your own long-term storage food? You need uh, Mylar bags and O2 absorbers? They've got that. You want gamma lids for your five-gallon buckets? Got it. Check. No problem. You want to start canning? Whether it's water bath or pressure canning, they've got what you need. Dehydrators? Got that, too. Want to get over and look at some tactical accessories or firearms if you're in their state or have an FFL to ship to? They've got it all, man. Like I said, the practical to the tactical, the guns to gardens, and everything in between. You'll find it all at the company that does what they say and says what they do. ReadyMadeResources.com, a long-term sponsor of the Survival Podcast. Happy to serve you with great pricing and great service. Again, ReadyMadeResources.com. Next up today, sponsor of the day number two, Sawtooth Tactical. You'll find them over at SawTac.com. You'll get all the stuff you need to live that tactical lifestyle if you get on over to SawTac. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated, and nestled in the wilderness of the Sawtooth Mountains. That's why they call them SawTac. And when I say everything, I mean everything from the awesome manly titanium spork, Maxpedition bags, Magpul magazines, SOE tactical gear, and everything else you can think of. If it's tactical, they have it at Sawtooth Tactical. Remember the website again, www.sawtac.com, and they also do do a discount for members of the Support Brigade. So if you're a member and you're going to get some tactical material from Sawtac, get into your MSB account, click on Benefits, and look up Sawtac and get that discount. Again, a veteran-owned, veteran-operated company nestled in the Sawtooth Wilderness of Idaho, sawtac.com. <clears throat> 
Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. I have um, three for you today. King Philip in the First Indian War. I also have Bacon's Rebellion and the Burning of Jamestown. And finally, I have some science highlights from the year 1676. I'm going to read King Philip in the First Indian War. I'll give you the science highlights because they're quick, and it's really interesting what people were able to figure out all the way back in the year 1676. And again, we're looking at the year 1676 at tspwiki.com, the Survival, Sustainability, and History Wiki, where we get historical context on the history segments about what we are seeing in the world today. This one really does apply to some of the things we're going to talk about today. King Philip is not really a king, and it's not really the first Indian War, but it's certainly the worst of the 17th century. King Philip is a chief of an American Indian tribe, and he is sick of the encroachment of New England colonists. Recently, several of his tribes were put to, several of his tribe were put to death after being convicted of the murder of Christian Indians. He attacked several colonies, burning everything to the ground and massacring the inhabitants in a hail of bullets or hacking them to death with hatchets. The New England colonists have been at war with one tribe or another since they have arrived. It has never come out well for the Indians. This will be the bloodiest war in New England's history in terms of per capita deaths. One in ten men of the Massachusetts Bay Colony will be dead within a year, which is actually the meaning of the word decimated. Every tenth man killed. However, by the end of this war, the Indian tribe will be virtually wiped out. King Philip will be hunted down and shot by a praying Indian, one of the Indians who converted to Christianity. My take by Alex Shrug. King Philip's real name was Metincomet. His name shows up one way or another in popular literature, film, and is even street names and golf course named after him though I doubt they realized who he was. A lot of what we know of this terrible attack comes from Mary Rowlandson's, who wrote the narrative of her experience being held captive along with her children. She was eventually released, but her six-year-old daughter didn't survive the experience. In researching this episode of Merged in History, I noted an opinion piece in the New York Times that suggested a parallel between Kim Phillips' attack and the 9-11 attack of the World Trade Center. The idea doesn't work for me. For the one in ten principal in New York did not die in the attack, There was some similarity to reaction attack. The response was an all-out. Indians not killed for being Indians, but one probably fared better as a Christian Indian. Um, here's my take by this. Um, it's, it's, it's just an ongoing meme in history that one group of people invades another people's space, takes their resources, tells them what to do, controls them, demands that they convert to their way of doing things. And when that group of people becomes disgusted with that aggression and begins to attack, generally the people they're attacking have better technology and weaponry than they do. If they did not, they would not have used the force of aggression. So it's no doubt that the people that came to the New World had better technology and better weaponry than the Native American people here. And they used that to enforce their will. So in an armed response, eventually, the, the oppressed group of people, the people who had their land taken, their property taken against their will, gets to a point where they become extremely violent, and they respond to the violence that was done onto them with greater violence, And then all of the people that were the initial aggressors go, oh my God, look at how horrible these people are. We must kill them all. And I'll just let that sink in for my take when we get to everything that's going on 
in the world today, but I think you can see where it goes. Real quick, though, science highlights. Ole Romner makes the first estimate of the speed of light by timing the eclipse of the moons of Jupiter. And notice that there's a 10-minute delay when the Earth is furthest from Jupiter than when it's closest. Scientists use his observations to come up with a number. Given the instruments of the day, it's not precise, but it's a good first try. To even have a clue of the speed of light in the year 1676 is pretty amazing. Anthony Phillips makes a better microscope and discovers microorganisms, which which is called amicules, like molecules, only they are animals. So they were able to actually see microorganisms, and it's a long time before we figure out that those microorganisms do things like cause illness and disease. So just because you can see something doesn't mean that you understand that it is or is not a threat to you. And in this case... More of them are beneficial to you than are a threat to you, but the ones that are a threat to you are really a threat to you, and ignoring them can lead to your own peril. More for us to take in about the world today. Uh, Jacobo Riccati is a mathematician who produces the Riccati equation. Explaining why this is important is beyond my ability, but I took calculus in college, and I recognize it. No doubt my professor is grateful. So Alex is a pretty smart guy, and this guy came up with an equation that Alex can't even understand. Pretty interesting for the year 1676. With that, I just want to remind you real quick, if you love this show and the work that we do, please consider joining the Member Support Brigade. I don't know why, but an awful lot of people have been expired by PayPal and had their accounts canceled this year. I've done some win-back campaigns to get you guys back. If you are an expired member, expect to see an email from me this week offering you a really cool deal to come back. If you're not yet a member, think about becoming a member today. My first half of the show today is going to cover all of this terrorist stuff, all of this refugee stuff, and I'm probably going to piss a lot of you off. And that's why I think if you're not a member, you should become a member. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Well, it's going to piss you off because I'm going to be truthful with you. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you what nobody else will. I'm going to give you an analysis, and I bet you, even if you don't like it, even if it makes you angry, if you sit back and consider the facts that I will give you today, you will find them incontrovertible. And that means that I'm willing to piss you off to tell you the truth. And I want to ask you, who else in journalism, who else in podcasting, who else that makes their living from the people that listen to them is not only willing to do that, but willing to tell you flat out that that's what they're going to do. That's the biggest reason I can ask you to support my show. The other side of it is you get discounts on things you're buying anyway. Your membership will pay for for itself. So why not consider becoming a member? With that, let's get into this. Let's dig right into this. Um... I want to start out with, let's ignore the mainstream narrative of the Paris attacks, that it's all what they say it is, and let's ignore the extreme conspiracy that it was all a bunch of CIA operatives with bulletproof passports. Let's just take all of that so that we can actually get to what it, what it, what it means to us, and for this segment of the show, let's put it on the shelf, because I haven't even dug into that yet. Because what I'm going to cover right now is why it doesn't matter. Whether it's a false flag, a let it happen on purpose, or an organic attack by Muslim extremists in Paris, no matter which one of those it is, no matter which one of you those you believe it is, what I'm about to tell you still applies. The governments of the world believe that no good crisis should go to waste, in the famous words of Ron Emanuel, and that is what to expect now. You're going to see a wholesale attack on liberty like never before. 
you're going to see this used to ram through some of the cyber terrorism legislation that really is the spy on the American people legislation and other first world nations across the world do similar things. They will get that through and they will actually be worse than the things that we've been resisting like uh, in this world up till now. Okay, they, they really will. They'll be worse. They'll be adding things. It's coming out now that these terrorists use the PS4 to communicate with each other. But that's irrelevant because we really can't figure out how to get that information yet. But there's all this information that's just out there that we need to do a better job of collecting. Like the NSA data centers are not already doing that. So there's a complete disconnect between the narrative of the people in charge, of the administration, and the left and right side of government mouthpieces right now about what needs to be done. We need to do a better job with collective intelligence of information that's publicly available online through things like social media and ISIS's Twitter account. Why does ISIS have a Twitter account, by the way? We'll just put that on the shelf with the whole conspiracy theory or you know organic attack. We'll just set it up there and just let that go for now. But I just wanted to kind of point that out. Um, that's where we're going to go first with this. This is all going to be about cyber terrorism. The gun control mantra doesn't work here because this occurred in Paris, where uh, France, uh, and particularly Paris, have some of the most stringent gun control things on planet Earth available anywhere in the world. So it does. So we, we, we can't go with that one. We can't go. We can't go with a mass shooting. We need to do something about gun control. So, this is what you need to understand about your government. Your government will take any crisis and use it to further any agenda that it naturally mates up with, whether they're connected or not. So, one of the things that the government's been trying to do, amid resistance of the American people, is to get more get deeper into their ability to spy on your online activities legally. They want to do it. Now believe they're just doing it anyway. Okay. But they want to do it legally because this is how you create a climate of fear. And if you think about everything that's been done to advance government and reduce Liberty in the last ever, but certainly the last 20 years, it's been done under a climate of fear. The more we can make you fear, the more you're willing to sacrifice. Now, what happens, though, is eventually the more the government has on every citizen, the more every citizen fears their government. There's, there's probably no person that hasn't made a comment at some point in time that they would prefer not become public. Well, what if there was a place where there was like a dossier on every single American citizen and we could just search it for certain keywords and run filters and find those things that we've all said at one point or another in a debate on a forum 20 years ago? You see how the media is attacking Dr. Ben Carson, who I, I'm neither for or against. I don't really care about the presidential election, but basically the attack on Dr. Ben Carson up until this all happened and we kind of forgot about it is... Some of the things you said in the book 20 years ago about how bad you were are not true. You're not as, you were not as bad as you say you were. Okay, if, if, if media and government will use the concept that you said you were worse than you were to attack you, they will use anything to attack you, anything that's inconsistent. Now, a lot of you are thinking, but this doesn't apply to me. This doesn't apply to me because I'm nobody. And it may not. It, you, you can't go all the way to 1984 thinking here. 
right? You don't need to control all the people. You just need to control any of the people that are capable of making change. So by doing this, every person that begins to rise, that has a greater capability to effect change for the good, to wrest control from government to the people, you know you'll have leverage points. I mean, when they get into government, they get bought, they become beholden. We all know this. If you if you doubt this at all, the website you need to go see today is a website called definingthemachine.com where you learn about the party due system in the house, and it's it's done right there. There's absolutely no way you can believe that sending different people to Congress will do anything after you go look at the evidence on that website. It's all factual. It's all true. You can hear John Boehner describe it. That's how true it is. Okay, so we know that. But in other instances, there's people who are rogues. There are Ron Pauls in the world. And there are other people, you know, there really are, who begin to make a difference. Wouldn't it be great if every if you were in charge and every time somebody came along that didn't quite fit your narrative, you could just send out a group of people to run filters of everything they ever did their whole life history online and find a few things and just find one you can use as an ad hominem attack to shut them up. That's just part of this. That's my, that might be something that your people in government aren't even smart enough to have figured out yet, but they damn sure will when they have the capability. That's just one thing that comes from this. The next thing that comes from this is more war. More war. You're already hearing people like Marco Rubio say, we need to send special ops teams into Syria. Every time the United States claims that we are only going to assist and help the good guys, it always starts there and it always ends up with thousands and tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of our young people fighting in a war. So this is going to lead to greater war. This also leads towards my prediction from 2008. In 2008, before Barack Obama was elected, I said the following. Barack Obama would be elected. He would have two terms. He would, he would actually do many of the things he would claim in his first term. He would gain re-election. He would get some things done that people would be upset about in his second term. But toward the second half, he would begin to take a dive and look incompetent. I get that. This is 2008 that I said this. And that it would all lead in a world of chaos to a point where the American people beg for a strong man to come in and fix things. And that strong man would be a Republican. Here you go. This just took the fire that was smoldering and threw kerosene and gasoline and diesel fuel all at the same time on top of it. And we're heading for that. And I'll, I'll go out on a limb here and predict this is the beginning of Donald Trump's demise. Because as people actually have to start voting now and start thinking to themselves... Do I want this guy in charge during things like this going on? The lack of experience begins to, to, to swell. And I, I don't know. I think you see a Ted Cruz or a Marco Rubio or somebody in that group begin to rise. God help us if it's a Jeb Bush. But it could be. It could. That's, that, that sickens me. But it could be. But th this country does not elect a Hillary Clinton in the middle of this. It just doesn't happen. And this will get worse, and this will not be the last big attack before the election. 
Whether it's organic or planned, I don't care. It won't be. And whether it's organic or planned, it won't matter. It will be played and spun. And you will have people begging the next president to bomb people and begging him or her. I guess there is a possibility of it being a her. don't think it will be Clinton, but I guess nothing's out of the realm. But begging the next president to take liberty and to bomb people. That's what's going to come out of this. That's what's going to come out of this. Now, there's another thing playing out here. And I'm watching the American people behave more stupidly than they behaved during Ebola. More stupidly than they behaved during the swine flu. I'm watching people cling to willful chosen ignorance of the most basic law of the land that they have lived in for their entire lives. When you're in a car, and you're in Texas, and you're going to go to Pennsylvania, and you get to the Arkansas border, there's nothing there that says, Welcome to Arkansas, please stop while we inspect your papers. You have freedom of movement. Once you're in this country, you can go from Florida to Washington, or from Maine to California. You can even get on a boat, and if it doesn't stop anywhere, go from Washington straight to Alaska. This is a republic. You can get on a plane in Tallahassee, Florida, and get off of it in Honolulu, Hawaii, and as long as you didn't end up in Canada for some reason, no one really asks you any questions. Why? This is a republic of member states, 50 member states, with freedom of movement of the citizenry through it all. So what am I talking about, guys? This refugee stupidity. This refugee stupidity. Um, let's not... Again, I'm going to get to why we shouldn't let refugees into the country right now. So those of you that are screaming that, don't worry, I'll get there. Those that are thinking we should, when you hear why I say we shouldn't, it'll be very hard for you to factually disagree with me. Okay? You might emotionally disagree, but it'll be almost impossible. But let's let that go for right now. Let's just talk about this stupid bifurcation of the nation's governors. So we have a whole group of governors that says, we will support the effort to bring these refugees to America so they can have the American dream. And then we have governors like my governor, Governor Abbott, sending letters to the president. Mr. President, Texas will not accept these refugees into our state. If you believe in any of that, you are clinging to willful ignorance because it matches what you want. If I'm upsetting you, again, I promised I would, but just relax a second and think about what I said first. A person in Dallas, Texas, can drive to Connecticut, and no one stops them along the way. There's no border checkpoints between the states. Okay, Governors of their states have no say in who can and cannot enter their state, specifically once they're in the United States of America. It's very conceivable that some place would be the landing zone, the Ellis Island of this refugee thing, probably New York, probably LaGuardia, okay, where all these refugees will be flown into. And they'll be taken somewhere and processed, and people will figure out where can we send them. And then the federal government can send them anywhere. And there's nothing any governor can do 
to say, I will let you in or I won't let you in. Which means all of the people championing the right-wing governors to say, no refugees here, are being willfully ignorant. And all of the people that are on the other side of this debate championing the governors to say, we will be welcome and opening, are just also clinging to willful ignorance. There is no place in the Constitution of the United States that assigns to governors of the individual member republic states the ability to determine who can and cannot enter their states. If there was, a state that was really pissed off about illegal immigration could have fixed that problem a long time ago now, couldn't they? Think about it. If that was true, and we have a problem with illegal immigration in Texas, and we do, we could just deport you to Arkansas. You can't deport them internationally. Yeah, but we can decide who lives in our state and who doesn't. So we'll just throw them into Arkansas or Oklahoma or whatever. You know, maybe that's not such a bad idea. What if every state did that and everybody just shipped them all to D.C. and said, hey, go those, tell those people in that white round building to figure out what to do with you. Maybe Congress would solve the problem then. I don't know. But it's not realistic. It can't happen. There's no constitutional authority. Further, you can say, well, the Tenth Amendment. Okay, fine. No state. No state has ever granted their governor in their own constitution or in any law the ability to determine who can and cannot be in their state based on national origin because it's a federal responsibility. Therefore, the entire thing and all these memes going back and forth, pictures of good states and bad states and this governor sucks and this governor's a champ, it's all stupid. It's all completely, totally 100% stupid. It has nothing to do with reality. And I'm watching the people of my nation bifurcate into two camps like a big bunch of dumb jackasses fighting with each other for politicians who wouldn't fart in your direction to benefit you. That's the truth. I'm not done pissing you off yet, though. Um, this is where like half of you will be happy with me and half of you will be angry with me. But again, there'll be no factual way to refute what I'm about to say. What the right is saying is, well, I'll probably piss off both sides. Hundreds of thousands of refugees are on their way right now to invade Idaho. Oh, I want to punch myself in the head. Come on. Please. Stop buying into this. The number that they are considering... And the number that our government committed to, by the way, without the approval of the people or the member states, is about 10,000 people. And this deal was made, just so you know. So the U.S. says, look, we'll take 10 grand, okay, 10,000 of these people, and you guys all take a whole shitload more over there in Europe and the Middle East and all. It was like our deal to get them to do it. That's, that's at least the, the narrative of why. Now, most people don't even know that. In most places, they're not telling you that. Because it's that immediately begins, to, even if you are totally opposed to this, right? The person you're arguing with it actually has nothing to do with it, just like you don't have anything to do with it. It immediately begins to diffuse the tension between the two of you. We can't have that. You must fight your buddy, right? So that the jackasses in charge can get away with this stuff, right? We're like a bunch of dumb, retarded sheep, and these people are werewolves, preying upon us, preying upon our children, while pretending to be shepherds protecting us. And we're dumb enough to believe that one guy is evil and the other guy is good. right? So that's the purpose, is bifurcation yet again. But whether you think we should or we should not, you should at least acknowledge whether or not it's possible for us to vet these people and know who they are. What the right says is we have no idea how many, we have no idea where they're coming, we have no idea about anything. We were just really completely with our head in the sand. We have no clue. 
Okay? That's not exactly true. What the left said is we have a very stringent vetting process. It's more difficult to come here as a refugee than any other way, which in some instances may actually be true, but it is factually impossible for it to be true now. So let's look at how do we vet a refugee. The way refugees are vetted is first they have to be like somebody that we sort of kind of know who they are says, hey, this guy would make a good guy to come, right? He, I, I know who he is. Right? So they're kind of put up by something. Now, who? Who? We're, we're agreeing to take... We'll, we'll come back to that. Some of you just made that connection. I don't want to put it out early, though. Okay? So somebody somewhere in the system already of other refugees that have already been accepted somewhere generally says, Hey, uh, get this guy. We're gonna, so nobody gets offended. We're calling Mike. Right? Mike's a good guy. I know who Mike is. He's got two kids and a wife, and these four should be led into the refugee program. So that happens. Then our government has two separately trained officials interview them and basically interrogate them and figure out who you are, where you come from, what have you. Of course, all of these people are people that lived in you know shacks, mud huts, burned out buildings, things like that. They've lost their entire life. Okay. The key is, generally speaking, a person says, "My name is Mike Ahmed." Right, Mike Ackman, and and, and 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 I lived here, and this is where I'm from, and this is my kid's name, etc. And here they are, and there was one other kid, and he died, and we we finally got here, and we need a place to go, and our government goes to another government that can verify Mike Ahmed's story and says, verify before we let this guy in, before we take this guy into this program, verify for us that this man is at least who he says he is, and then our two interviewers from two different departments of government, okay, use that information during the interrogation to determine whether this guy represents a risk or not, whether his family represents a risk or not. And that's still not foolproof, but that's what we do. Now, the narrative is, that's what we're going to do here. Okay, we can't. We can't. What government are we going to ask this question of? The Assad government? Do you, do, you, do you think they have any reason whatsoever to be forthcoming and honest and helpful in this? Okay, so, I mean, so we've actively supported an insurgency in Syria that was supposed to be rebelling and was rebelling against Assad called the Free Syrian Army. The Free Syrian Army has actually merged with ISIS-ISIL and become ISIS-ISIL and taking all of the training money, weapons, etc. we've given them, and used that to prosecute a war that Assad could have put down in a few weeks that's still ongoing and has spread into northern Iraq and rep represents a serious threat to his government. That's why these refugees need a place to go. So do, do, do you, can we ask Assad? They're Syrian refugees, so we can't ask Turkey. We can't ask what's left of the Iraqi government that we installed. Who are we going to ask? Israel? How would they know? Iran? Do you think Iran knows or even gives a damn? So who there can be that government body that gives us the confirmation that we're even asking the guy the right questions and what answers we should be getting? And the answer is no. What are you going to do? Ask ISIS or ISIL, whatever they're going to call them today? You going to get on their Twitter account? Can you verify that Mike Ahmed has three sons, one daughter? The daughter was killed during a drone strike. His wife's name is April Ahmed. 
She's five foot three. Was born in this year. You think ISIS is going to be? You know, hold on. Let us let us stop being terrorists for a few minutes and come back and examine it. Yeah, we threw them. We threw those guys out. You know, we were going to kill them, and we decided, you know, they weren't really worth killing. That they weren't quite bad enough, so we sent them to the refugee camp. And and out of there, so we'll yeah we'll yes pound verified from ISIS on Twitter English language version right. I mean, who, how the hell could you possibly vet these people in this situation? What possible documentation could there be? How much documentation is there in rural Syria of who people are, when they were born, what their names are, etc. in the first place? The answer is you cannot vet these people. You can't. There's no way to. So everything you're being told is bullshit by both sides. Now, notice how... Everything that you're being told by either side has elements of truth. That's the magic. That's the magic. That's how you get this all to work. That's how you get half of the people to grab on the one side and half to grab on the other. You can't give them 100% false information. You have to provide them with reasonably verifiable, at least cursory, like if I just check it on some level, some mouthpiece is repeated it as fact. On the right, it's like Fox News type source. On the left, it's like a CNBC News type source, right? Mouthpieces. You notice how there's mouthpieces for both sides. Huh? Much better than Pravda, right? You only have a mouthpiece for one side. You can eventually lose control, right? But if you have a mouthpiece for both sides, you can control people forever. That's where we're at right now. That's where we're at right now. And people say, so what's the solution? Well, I think first of all, the solution is to acknowledge a few things. We have to acknowledge a few things here. First and foremost, everything the United States government has touched in the Middle East for at least 50 years, and I'm being generous when I say at least 50 years instead of longer, for at least 50 years has made every problem there worse. There's nothing we've made better. Afghanistan is worse today than it was before we invaded. Iraq is worse than before we invaded. Libya is worse than before we supported the overthrow of Gaddafi. Syria is worse today. Iraq is worse today. There's nothing that we've ever done, ever, that in any way has long-term, meaningfully improved things. We've had short-term improvements, and this is not an indictment of the people that went there and did their best and tried. Okay, The people, the young men and women that we have sacrificed on an altar and sent over there have done their best in a situation that's impossible. And if you think what I'm saying today is anti-soldier, then you're, you're, you're dealing with a layer of brainwashing you haven't shedded yet. Because that's how we control people in this country. If you say anything that's negative about military action, you're being negative about military people. No. No. The first act of patriotism should be to hold your own government accountable for its actions. And see, if you actually look at the fact I just gave you, everything we touch we make worse, it kind of neutralizes all of the buts. But they're killing people over there. Yeah, and when we get involved, more people get killed. But they're radically extreme uh, religious fundamentalists. Yes, they are. But when we get involved, they become more radically extreme religious fundamentalists. And they recruit more people. Because we use our superior force to beat them back into caves 
And that feeds their delusion that they're in a religious war and God's on their side. So all we can do in our action is make things worse. And when I put that out on Facebook this week, somebody said, well, that's like saying that what the United States did in World War I caused the setup to World War II. And while it's true, we still have to deal with what we created. Okay, let's look at a couple things here. Number one, in World War II, we had a nation to declare war against, or a group of nations to declare war against. With a clear objective, take Berlin, take Rome, take Tokyo, end the war. See how simple that is? And we declared war against governments. Okay. Next, in World War II, Germany was an industrialized nation with full capability to make war on its neighbors, which it demonstrated in the act of doing so. What we have are a bunch of ragtag idiots whose only training came from our own people, and most weaponry is either our weaponry, our vehicles, or paid for with U.S. dollars, and money continues to fund them as they themselves sell oil to Turkey, who is our ally. Cut them off and let them sort their own shit out. No matter how bad it is, history has demonstrated whatever we do will make it worse. Again, you have to show me one place in the last five decades the United States has taken a direct action in the Middle East where we are not now worse off because we did so. One. Just one. And there's people on Google right now going, I can't. And you won't. Trust me, I wouldn't make this blanket claim if I didn't already know the answer. There's nothing. There's nothing. We are actually the biggest cause of everything wrong in the Middle East right now, more so than the people doing it. Because the people that are the great... And listen, make sure you understand me. ISIL, okay? ISIL. I'm going to call them that from now on since we can't decide what they are. They are... Evil, fanatical, crazy freaking people. And if they could kill you, they would kill you. Just people all over the world like that. We just have chosen to focus on this because it benefits our foreign policy and our economic policy to do so. That's the only reason we actually are singling these guys out as being this bad. And they have all their capability from American weapons or American dollars that funded weapons. We left shit tons of armament and weaponry and vehicles in Iraq with no means for them to be defended. We should have either removed them or destroyed them. Instead, we left them there. And ISIS rolled straight into Iraq out of Syria and just picked up all that shit and have been using it to make war for over two years now. So what should we do next? We have to do something. That's the mantra you'll hear. Something has to be done. You know what? On September 12th, 2001, we were told something has to be done. When ISIS beheaded one person, we were told something has to be done. Every time... We have been told something has to be done. We've done something, and that something made it worse. And the mantra right now is it's because Obama's incompetent. He didn't do enough something. Well, if we did more something, we'd probably have a worse result. That's not defense of Obama. That's just based on fact. Because 
Bush did quite a few somethings, which made it worse. Clinton did quite a few somethings, which made it worse. First Bush, you start to say a pattern of Bush, Clinton, Bush, okay, did something that made it worse. Really did. In fact, the only guy out of that whole group that seemed to have any brains was Bush Sr. Because when they thought about toppling Hussein, he said, not going to do it, wouldn't be prudent, bad idea, destabilize, don't want to destabilize, right? Okay? We know Saddam Hussein is a gangster, a gangster we've worked with. We have gangsters in our government. Why? There are all these people that run these governments are gangsters. But at least Bush the, the, the first seemed to have enough brains to go, dude, this is bad. Or it could just be that the entire planet wasn't time yet for it to happen. You know, it was, or plans changed when people began to really get too smart, when people got the internet. I don't know. But I'll tell you this, the goal now is complete and total control of you and your family and every, and, and the knowledge of the government of every piece of information you either consume or generate. And that's what this is going to be used to do. And this is the truth. This is the truth that you won't get from either side of mainstream media. This is the truth you won't hear from alternative media. Everybody in alternative media is going to focus on whether or not this attack was genuine. It's irrelevant. I know you're saying, no, it's not, because I understand what you're saying, but it's not relevant to what's going to happen next. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if a bunch of crazy people killed a bunch of people in Paris or a bunch of people that were enabled by vindictive people from, I don't know, Israel's government, our government, a combination of governments, France's government, I don't know, right? It doesn't matter. What matters now is what's going to happen next and how you're going to be controlled through a climate of fear. And I'll look into it. I'll come up with my, my conclusions based on evidence once I have enough evidence to tell you what I think really happened. Okay, but I haven't gotten there yet. But I know I don't need to know that to know what government will do with it. I watched in awe this weekend, not really awe, and even yesterday. It was like my prediction coming true. As there was nothing. I put the Fox News channel on, and I turned it to mute. So it wouldn't bother me when we were dealing with all the stuff we had to deal with yesterday, which I'll talk about in a minute, and we'll get on to something different. And uh, just so I could see what was going on, every time I walked through, I'd look, and it was coverage of the, the Paris attacks and experts about what needs to be done and why Obama sucks or the other person coming on, why Obama's right, and... You know, and the refugees. That's it. You know, eight hours of news coverage about nothing but this. And this morning it was the same shit. Last night a tornado in West Texas wiped out a Halliburton plant, spewing tons of toxic waste into the atmosphere. You know who covered it? RT. Yep. Yep, Russia Today. Russia Today covered it. I haven't seen any mainstream media coverage of it at all. Not nationally. I'm sure the local paper out you know, in West Texas covered it if they have one anyway. Yeah. So, so last night, a major toxic waste disaster occurred. And you wake up to, should we or should we not take Syrian refugees in? Well, here, let me just tell you what's going to happen with this. We will take these refugees. We already made a deal. We made the deal with other governments. And none of these governors have any say whether we do it or not. So you might ask yourself why they are doing what they're doing right now. Well, the right-wing governors in states where they're worried about their re-election want to go on right now as this big warrior who fought against it. 
Okay, so if anything bad happens because of it, they can say they opposed it. And all of these people have greater political aspirations, either to become senators, run for president someday. So they want this on paper that they said because they know that no one's going to tell you what I'm telling you. And they know that all people will remember is what side they, they came out on. Okay, the people in the left leaning states would do it for the exact same reason. But, oh, my friends, they have another reason since it's going to happen anyway. And since these people can go anywhere anyway, what do you think is going to happen if a state says, yeah, we'll take them? And the federal government works with that state to locate those people, let's say in Pennsylvania. Do you think the federal government's just going to like load up a couple of Greyhound buses, send them to the Philadelphia State House, open up the doors and let them out? No, they're going to come with a whole bunch of federal money. Yeah, money. And it's, you think it's just going to be for the refugees? Oh, no, that's what it'll supposedly be for. So these big spending states that are already left-leaning, this is a cash cow. They're wondering how much extra tit-sucking they can get out of this. That's it. That's all there is. They're going to come. Nothing you're going to do is going to change that. Because our government already made the deal, and when we make deals out in the open like this, for something that the federal government can just do without your approval, without any state's approval, they do it. This is not going to take an act of Congress. Congress can pass resolutions all they want. It won't matter. It won't matter. This will be done by our State Department and by the executive branch of our government, allowing entry of these people under an existing refugee plan. That's what will happen. And if one of these people, if one of these people carjacks somebody or robs a store it will be called an act of terrorism by the extremists on the other side the right side extremists and if one of these people does something really nice sets up some sort of a homeless shelter or something it will be championed by the left who wouldn't give a shit about it under any other circumstances because they believe that you and I are just that stupid So what do you do about this? Circle of influence, circle of concern. Am I concerned that some of the people that they will bring into this country with no ability to actually properly vet them could represent danger to me or the rest of the country? Sure, and there's plenty of dangerous people here already. Okay, Let's put this in perspective about all of this hyperactivity over what happened to France. And I don't want to belittle anybody that lost somebody there. I really don't. All right, losing anybody is hard, and it's serious, and it's real. But if we're going to start changing global policies, right, then we have to look at it without that emotional connection. So with no emotional connection and no offense meant toward anybody that knew anybody that died or was injured or lost somebody in these attacks, let's put this in perspective, can we? The, the, the most updated number I've heard from Paris is 128 people killed. 128 people killed. And our idiots running on the Republican side are calling it another 9-11. I find that highly disrespectful to the number of people that died in 9-11. And I also find it a little bit um, sensationalized since like two of the largest buildings in the world weren't destroyed. And an entire economy wasn't brought to its knees, etc. Uh, but we'll just let that go. But 128 
In 2013, which are the most up-to-date stats that I can get right now, really quick on Wikipedia, a little over 32,000 people died in the United States on the interstate system. If we divide that number by 87, or by 365, we get 87. So every two days, more people die in America driving their car than the total number of people killed in the Paris attacks. Is this something that you alter global policy for? It doesn't mean that it's not important. It doesn't mean that it's not tragic. It doesn't mean that it's not horrific. But the last time we did this, it was because one person was beheaded. Because it was on video. And it led to all of this. Had we not done something then, we wouldn't be in this mess now. ISIS would have been a ragtag bunch of idiots that would have been mopped up by the local governments that detested them. Instead, we did something. We interfered. We made it worse. You know what? I'm going to let it go now. Because if what I've said so far hasn't worked for you, you're not ready for it to work for you yet. But ask yourself why that is. Why is that? I hear a lot of people say, you don't understand. I have family. I have friends that, that are over there. Our friends that died over there were wounded there. So you want somebody else to die or be wounded or have their life destroyed to further a bad decision? Again, all I'll say is, show me something we did with direct actions in the Middle East in the last 50 years that long term resulted in anything but making things worse. And if you can't show me that, isn't it time that we stop doing it? Since we've demonstrated our absolute incompetence, even if somebody should try to fix it, we have demonstrated that we are wholly and fully incapable of doing so. Let's move on to something different. I'd like to say something happier, but it's not happier. I have to tell you guys... Uh, the story of what happened, those that haven't read on the blog yet, as many of you know, uh, I run a small farm here, and our, our chief product is duck eggs. And we also have a couple geese on the farm, or had a couple geese on the farm. One was named Buddy, and one was named Joe. Buddy was actually named after the elf Buddy in the Christmas movie Elf, because Buddy thought he was a elf, and Buddy the Goose thought she was a duck. So we named Buddy Buddy. And at the time, we didn't know if Buddy was Buddy or Buddy Et, boy or girl. Turned out Buddy was a girl. And once we figured out Buddy was a girl, one of the other geese that we used to have left the flock and came over and bonded with Buddy and pair bonded. So we named him Joe because Buddy's girlfriend in Elf was a girl named Joe V. So we named them Buddy and Joe from the movie because my, my wife loves that movie. Um, Saturday night, right in the middle of this big workshop that we just got done with, it's why we didn't have a show last week, Um, somebody comes, or my wife comes to me and says, all the ducks and, and Joe are back in the holding area for the night, but he's missing. And so we send out a search party and we find her over by the garden and she's just sitting there. She seems okay, although she can't get up. Her leg is messed up. It looks like she hurt her leg, you know? We don't really know what happened to her. We got people running here, some kids here, maybe somebody stepped on her. I don't know, but I mean, what can you do other than just make her comfortable? So we put her, in the greenhouse for the night, and we put her in with some food and water. And I went and caught Joe, because he was freaking out, screaming and yelling for her. And I carried him over, and we put him in there with her. And he sat down and took care of her for the night. She came out in the morning, and uh, she seemed to be doing okay. She was eating, she was drinking. And then that night, when everybody went to bed, she just stayed there. Even though she had gotten up and walked around a little bit, 
I went and picked her up, and she felt very, very light. She didn't feel good. So I took her back to where Joe was and put her in the duck house and kind of set her up with some food and water. And I found her about five feet from where I left her the night before on Monday morning dead. So that's not why I canceled the show. Animals died. But we didn't really know what happened yet. I was in here getting prepared for the show, and I hear my wife yell, there's a coyote attacking our ducks. I look out my window, and directly out my window is a coyote killing one of our ducks. I grab my .22. I should have grabbed my handgun, opened the window, and shot the thing through the screen from the house. But I didn't know that if opening the window would startle him, so I figured I would crack the door. And by the time I cracked the door, he had chased the ducks around the other side of the house. He had already at this point mortally wounded two ducks. One was dead and one was a duck I had to put down. He injured two more. This is not a coyote that was just doing this out of hunger. He was in a play mode. Murder as many of these things as I can. And even though I wanted to run after him, I took some discipline. Because I saw the pattern. And I knew he'd come out. And I knew the ducks would lead him out. So I waited. And he came out from behind the outbuilding, and I knew I was going to get a perfect shot, and I almost did. He stopped when he caught another duck. And when he stopped, we'd been doing some work on the greenhouse, and we had a big piece of Lexan, which is like a heavy plexiglass, like quarter inch. It's sitting at a 45-degree angle. It's a good three feet between the Lexan and the Coyote, and it's covering up every part of his body perfectly like a shield. And a 22 long rifle on a piece of Lexan at 45 degrees is not going to get through there and hit the coyote. So I had to move because he was distracted with the duck. And when I moved, he saw me and like a split second went over our fence and disappeared into the woods and got away. My ducks are all screwed up. I'm all discombobulated. I have to go put another one of my ducks down. I've got two ducks wounded. Both of them seem this morning like they're going to be okay. They survived. Tough animals, these ducks. And uh, so I canceled the show yesterday. So that's why there was no show yesterday. And I want to explain why this coyote has to die now. Because part of it, yes, is I can be a vindictive asshole if you cross me. And this coyote's crossed me. He's killed my animals. And he hasn't done it, done it as a pure predator that was hungry. They got over the fence, grabbed a duck, and took off. This is an animal that ran across an acre of my property terrorizing my animals, he's cost me money, and he cost me a long-term member of my flock and buddy, who was, I believe that this is what happened. The reason she got attacked Saturday night, when all these people were here, by the way, which is another reason this coyote has to die, is because when he came across the fence and everybody ran, being a goose, she stood up to him. Because that's what geese do. They do guard the flock. And she just, I mean, a goose is not going to defeat a coyote. And he was able to mortally wound her. Um... But, so, the reasons he has to go is, one, I know he'll be back. Two, he did this in broad daylight, so he's brazen. Number three, the first attack on Buddy happened while there were over 50 people here. And it happened right where we were. This animal's lost its fear of people, so he has to die. Unfortunately, I know coyotes. And... The way that animal moved when he saw me wasn't because he saw a person. That animal knows what a gun is. That, that coyote saw that gun. That's the only way they can really move that fast when they're already out in the middle of the day. If they had that much inherent fear of a human being, they wouldn't be out in the middle of the day. Those are nocturnal coyotes. 
But when he's, and it was literally as I came, I had a rest on the side of the, the, the porch that when I moved the gun is when he went. So he knows now. And they are that smart. And I probably won't get an opportunity like that again. So he has to go with a trap. So I'm dusting off the Pennsylvania mountain boy trapping skills. And I'm going to run some uh, game cameras down in the bottom pasture. And I'm going to murder this coyote. Yes, I said murder this coyote. Um, and I want people to understand something about animals like this. There are animal rights activist groups and stuff like out there that say if you kill coyotes, you make matters worse. They may or may not be correct in some ways. But when you have a predator displaying this behavior, it has to go. This animal is now a danger, not just to my animals, but the dogs surrounding me, these other people's dogs. A lot of people think something like a German Shepherd or whatever will just kill a coyote. Unless that animal is actually trained to have an intrinsic aggressive nature, a coyote can kill a dog twice its size because a coyote has that. The type of dog you need to kill a coyote is like a Great Pyrenees, an Anatolian Shepherd, etc. And it has to be a dog that's been purposely trained to attack and kill coyotes. So the good news of this is, one, you guys are probably going to get a lesson in trapping. People have asked for video and stuff. I need to get this done, and I'm not really prepared to get this done, so this week's going to be tough. I've got a lot of stuff personally going on this week that I can't tell you about that's going to make this really hard to do this week, and if I get it done, uh, I'll be happy. But within a week, by Thanksgiving, I expect that this bastard will be on a stretcher board if his hide's worth tanning. Um. But I, I just want you guys to think about this. A lot of you guys are homesteaders and farmsteaders. And I talk a lot about skill development. I think learning to trap is a skill that, that anybody living this lifestyle needs to have. Because you can end up with a problem like this. And this is one of those problems that calling a guy may or may not work and finding the right guy is not always easy. And if you know how to do this, you can deal with this problem. It's not that hard. And the, the trap of choice for these guys is a leg hold trap. Uh, Coyote, I like to use a number three coil spring trap for. And you need to learn how to do what's called a dirt hole set. And I've got a challenge here. So normally when you do a, a little trapping lesson here, when you do a dirt hole set, what you actually do is you dig two holes. One's like a saucer hole. That's where your trap goes. The other one's going to be kind of into a bank. You want a, kind of a rised area. Is a good thing. You're going to dig a, a hole into the ground. Something like a dog might dig, but you know it's going to run sort of horizontal, maybe 45 degrees, 30 degrees down, and it's going to be it's going to it's going to start where the other hole ends. You can Google this if it's not clear. And then you take your trap and you put it in your your pan hole, your your saucer hole, and you fill dirt all around the outside of it, being careful not to trap yourself. They do make a a retention spring so you don't set it off, but those are usually difficult to undo, and I usually work without one with these smaller traps. And then you eventually use a sifter and cover the whole trap. And my, my little secret is once I get everything covered except the pan, I like to sprinkle a little peat moss on the pan. That helps prevent water from getting as absorbent and sprinkle a little more dirt on top of it. And you put your bait in the other hole. So when the animal, and you try to set it so it funnels the animal, And when he comes in there, he can smell something's in that hole. And his natural inclination is to want to put his nose and his paw into that hole and dig that hole up. So just think about how a dog's front legs work. The coyote's basically a wild dog. 
As he steps forward, one of those feet is going to go right into that saucer hole that you've covered up. Bam! You've got him. He's not going anywhere. And the way, and you have to hide this, especially any coyote that's seen a trap before, somebody that blew it. Like, they know what a trap is. So you need a cable, and you have to do that to a, a ground stake. What they make are these barbed ground stakes that what you do is you actually drive it into the ground, and then you pull the pipe out, and it's just a wire going down to like a piton, kind of like a climber uses. And that's directly underneath where you set the trap. Well, obviously, I can't do that. So I have to do something like run a cable and moor it to a tree with like an eye hook, and I have to hide and conceal that. So this is going to be a complex set because of the rock here, but I have two spots that I think are perfect to get this this coyote. And uh, I just wanted to kind of share that with you guys, and I want to kind of put that in your your mind because I think a lot of people think of trapping as kind of an outdated skill, you know, or if they do think of trapping, they don't think of it as like, you know, leg hole trapping or something like deadfalls and stuff like bushcrafting and all. But but this modern trapping, this this fur trapper stuff, this is a, a, a way to solve your problems. Now, you do have to look at what are the regulations and laws in your area. And I do have a recommendation that if you're going to do this in any area where any animal that you don't want to kill uh, might end up in a trap, they make traps, and they have since I was a kid. I always used them with a, uh, a rubber liner on a jaw so that when the animal's leg is caught, it doesn't tear and cut into the flesh. Now, I don't really care if it tears and cuts into the flesh of a coyote, but should my neighbor's dog somehow manage to get across my fence and end up in there, I'd prefer that his dog has a sore foot, but overall he's okay. That's one thing these rubber things do. The other thing is if you manage to get your, your own hand in there, it's a little less painful. And it's not really that painful if you get your whole hand in one of these traps. It's when you get a finger. That's what you got to be really careful of. When an and like sort of PETA people out there, right? When it, when it, when an animal like this gets in one of these traps, basically it's like somebody puts a big rubber band around your wrist that you can't pull off, and, and the hand itself actually goes numb. When you see these animals and they've been trapped, until they see that you're approaching, what you usually walk up on with a coyote is he's just there sleeping. He's just kind of giving up, doesn't know what to do. Uh, you know, just he wears himself out and he just goes to sleep. He's not there whining and crying or anything like that. And again, coyotes, I got very little sympathy for, and this one I have none for. So, anyway, I wanted to share that with you guys because that just happened. And with that, I'm kind of wore out today, guys. It's it's been a it was a long week last week, and it, this is a tough subject. Not not the, the buddy the goose thing. I mean, I, I wish that she was still here, and it really bothered me yesterday when those animals were killed because it was so senseless. When I have an animal killed by a coyote, I'm not eating it. I, I I don't know what you know that animal could possibly infect the, the bird with. I you know I I'm not consuming those animals. So uh, that was completely a waste. We buried. Uh, two of them just out in the middle of nowhere, basically, in a field. But I buried Buddy in one of the smaller orchards, and we'll plant a tree over her this spring. It's kind of a, a little bit of respect. But, I mean, this this, this Paris thing, it, it wears me out because if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know that my goal is to encourage people to think. And, and people in this country right now are reacting exactly the way I would expect. And that saddens the hell out of me. I, I can't believe how dumbed down our society really is, how willing we are to go to war. And the left and the right aren't debating whether or not we should extend a war. 
They're debating exactly which way we extend the war. They're not debating whether or not we should take away the liberties of our own people. They're debating exactly which liberties and how. They're not debating whether or not we should take actions that will make things worse in the Middle East, and we already know that will be the result, but which actions and which things to make worse based on their own individual agendas. We have psychopaths running our nation. We really do. And I don't see that changing anytime soon until the people of this country can start to recognize psychopathic behavior for what it is. And until such time, you have to start asking yourself, how are you going to deal with this? How are you going to deal with this? Let me tell you what you need to not do. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You're a thousand more times likely to die this year in a car wreck or from cancer or probably from an accident falling down the stairs than you are because of something ISIS will do. Don't be afraid. No matter how genuine the threat these people represent is, we're stronger. Those of us in this country who have said, I will defend myself and my family, we're stronger than this. We don't need to beg the government to defend us. What if they come here? Hey, ISIS, why don't you look up my website and see where I live? That's how I feel about it. Seriously. I have more trouble dealing with a coyote than I do with these ragtag idiots in ISIS. And the solution, if it ever actually comes to it, is the same. Elimination. But that's their world over there. That's their countries. This is our country. And those of you that listen internationally, wherever you live, that's your country. Focus on the safety and security of your nation. And understand, your government will never provide it to you. They can't. Only you can. You protect the old lady down the road from the criminal way better than the police officer who shows up after the crime is committed. You protect your children from the home invader who's a bigger threat to you than anybody in a dark mask on TV. Better than the police who show up after you call them, after he's in your home. And even should the day come that these people try to do what they did in Paris here, they better pick one of these states that disarms their people. Because if they pick a state like Texas or Arizona, all I can say is good luck because you're going to need it. I'm not afraid. I am not afraid of ISIS. I am not afraid of Iraq or Iran or Syria. I'm not afraid of Russia. I'm not afraid of China. I'm more afraid of my, my people's willingness to give away their power to our own government than I am any of those things. And you know what? In the end, I'm not even afraid of that. I'm not even afraid of that. I believe that we are beginning to wake up from this slumber and stupidity. I believe that's why they're compounding their bullshit to levels never seen before. I believe that's why we're seeing this nonsense played up more than any time in history. 
I believe that's why it's happening. Because they know they're beginning to lose control. Every day, every day, the brainwashed, the willfully ignorant, begin to unplug from the matrix and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. These people that are saying this has all happened before and presenting all these things called facts, are they 100% wrong? That's the first step. They start to like ask themselves, is anything that this group of people that are truly in the middle of these issues, rather than polarized to one side or the other, is anything they're saying true? And if anything ends up being true, they start a path. They start a path. And you guys know where it leads. It leads first to individual sovereignty, individual liberty, individual freedom. You will never have a free society unless the majority of the people in the society have already matured emotionally and spiritually enough that they can say, I am a sovereign being. There's no hope that tomorrow that will be the case in the literal sense, as in tomorrow morning. But every day our numbers grow. Every day more and more people cross that bridge. It's the first crossing. And once we get there, we start to realize something. No one has more control over our own destinies than we do. And it is with that assurance and with that control that we accept we may even fail. Whether in small ways or the ultimate way, we may die. We may get hit by a car. We may be robbed by somebody who gets the jump on us. We may just fall over and die someday. It happens to people. John Pugliano's father was in his 30s. He looked to be in perfect health. He had an aneurysm one day and dropped over. John Pugliano is in our expert council for those that haven't met John yet on the show. I think he was 38. I don't want to say a number and be wrong, but that's the number I remember, 38. Gone. What if that man, instead of living the most of his life and leaving behind a son like John, had spent his life being afraid of things? Afraid of people in black masks. Afraid of scary things on the TV set. Think about all the things you've been afraid of that I've told you not to be afraid of over the years. Whether it's Ebola or swine flu or measles. World War Three. Remember that meme? That went around about two years ago. They're still they're recycling that one right now. And yet here we are. All we have is each other. And all we have is the control over our own destiny. If only we will rise up with enough courage to claim it. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't. I've been waiting for something to happen For a week or a month or a year With the blood and the ink of the headlines And the sound of the crowd in my ear You might ask what it takes to remember When you know that you've seen it before Where a government lies to a people And a country is drifting to war There's a shadow on the faces of the men who sent the guns To the wars that are fought in places 